0: One of Angus Peter's opening illustrations about the law and the gospel really applies here because in, in this set of passages about Melchizedek, we see this historic change. We see this historic criticism of why the old system didn't work and why Christ is needed. Imagine people being asked, as we do when we do evangelism, to give up their old ways, to give up their old way of thinking, to give up relying on themselves or on systems or on things like that. Now, I was, he mentioned a test. I was thinking at one point about saying, okay, and I would pass out pencils and I would say, okay, on your bulletins, I want you to write three things down you want from God. Give you a pop quiz. But I decided i do what I like teachers to do, and that is teach to the test. So I'm going to give you the answer, and then we're going to back up. It's like, you know, sometimes on, on television shows, you'll see this dramatic scene. You'll see all these emotions and visual images. And then it'll cut and say six weeks earlier, because they're going to tell you how they got to that scene. The scene that I want us, and the verse I want us to think on and dwell on is there in verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that idea of drawing near to God being the most important thing, that that's where our hope should take us. Our hope should not take us to better health. Our hope should not take us to better money, a better house, a better car, whatever. Because what is happening in this passage, through which we draw near to God, solves that issue that started back in the Garden of Eden when mankind through Adam and Eve were pushed out when they were pushed out away from the presence of God, when God used to walk with them. And now we're asked to push away all the complexities, all the baubles and trinkets of modern life, and say the most important thing for me to do is to draw near to God. In my friend who died this week's Blog over time, one of the things that we know happened was that he, he, he and his daughter, early teen daughter, wrote a book together to help other kids understand what it's like to have a parent who's dying, to give them hope. Because children aren't supposed to grow up when they're young. With that day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, wondering if this is going to be the day that my dad's no longer here. And so the most important thing we as parents, we as grandparents, as (coughs) great-grandparents can do is to model and to tell that the most important thing in life is to draw near to God. It's nice to have friends. It's nice to have success. But yet what we want them to see in Christianity is that Christ the high priest helps us to draw near to God. Think of all the things that modern people think is wrong. Because, we would say, of the fall. Because of sin. And if we don't lay that foundation that the important thing is to draw near to God, they're going to get surface things. Superficial things. Now, one of the things about the law in the whole system it created with the worship in the temple and all of that was that it relied on what I call two R principles, it relied on repetition and replacement every day, morning and evening sacrifices, all the quarterly sacrifices the sin sacrifices, the harvest sacrifices, all of that had to happen And then the high priest had to be replaced because he didn't live forever. All of that was repetition and replacement that the eternal high priest of Jesus Christ replaces. So it only has to be done once. We're going to see all of that coming up. It's like when I I look at this and I see how he draws out his conversation, his explanation about Melchizedek, it's like he really wants us to stick because when we come into chapter 8, you know, we're going to get to Christ the high priest and all that's happening, then we're going to move into the, high, the new covenant, the once and for all sacrifice. You're going to have all of these big ideas that are based upon this transition This putting aside what God had put in place to get them ready for it. The image, remember, that I have used is that Christ is there and that Melchizedek is a shadow. That's the way it's going to be for the temple, for the altar. You see, the whole temple system, what was the goal? It was to get inside the Holy of Holies in the very presence of God. What did they see when they saw the fire and the cloud? That the presence of God was leading them and was with them. That they were not alone in the midst of all of these vast empires. Particularly Egypt at that time. These nations that they were coming up against, they had the presence of God. And so you have this transition and when he And what you have to realize is this is the second time he quotes Psalm 110. You are a priest forever in describing Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot of words in there. It's like, okay, pay attention, pay attention. But for today, we will look and say, when you are a priest, what? Forever. Christ will not be replaced. Christ is the final priest. He is the final priest that takes his people into the presence of God, that allows us to draw near to God. And I think that is a hard idea for modern people to understand that, that what I need to do is to draw near to God. I want to be with God, not the benefits. Because so often, because we are raised in a consumer culture, what do I get? How do I get it? How much does it cost? To be able to say that the most important thing in my life is that we draw near to God. Now, we're going to look at that later on in the sermon more. But what I want you to do is I'm going to take you through what I call the hope chain. Because one of the things in the early part of the book of Hebrews is this repetition of the word hope. Now, we understand in modern society how important that is because we say that when people in poverty lose hope, it begins to affect them psychologically and emotionally in relationships. We know that marriages start to fail when people lose hope that their spouse or their situation or their children or whatever would change. They lose hope. They don't believe there's going to be a better tomorrow. They believe it's going to crash and burn in their lives. and So they build this image where it all becomes dark and fuzzy and they can't see it. And their pain becomes the center of their life rather than their hope. Going back to Hebrews 3, verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if we indeed hold fast out of confidence and are boasting in our hope. You see how important hope is there? I remember when I preached the sermon on that, we had just been to the McLeod Castle, and I had learned that their family words were hold fast, and I wondered, huh, did it come from this verse or it come from someplace else? But hold fast is also something, at least in the popular British Navy mythology that you see in movies, you see people on their knuckles who have hold fast tattooed there. Can you hold fast to the hope of Jesus Christ? Can you hold fast to that hope and not let it go? In Hebrews 6, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. See, that hope until the end is is that we often don't want to think about the end. We only want to think about the now. Now. And we need to realize that it is a long race. Every day I pray and think about my mother and her dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever she's going through. But see, I know that her faith in God through reading the word in prayer and being a part of God's community and all the things that she did, that even though it may look like a fog to us, I know she is rooted in Christ In her lostness, in her memories, Hebrews six, eighteen. So that by two unchangeable things, in which is impossible. For God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We've got hold fast twice in relationship to hope. You see, we have to realize that we need to hold on to hope, that hope is not just something that, that is there that we need to hang on to. We talk about faith in Jesus Christ, but do you have your hope in Christ to hold it to the end? One of the sad things that I have seen often is that, particularly men, when they lose their spouse, their wife of many years, many of them become bitter and angry and seem to walk away from God and feel like God has Abandon them when they need to hold fast to him during that time of loss. And yes, in a sensitive way, it is hard for pastors to confront them, but to say what you need to do is not push God away, but you need to cling to God. You need to hold on to the hope to the end. I have several Facebook friends whose, friends, whose da- sons and daughters run cross-country, and this is the time when they have, you know, the tournaments and all of that kind of stuff. And see, it's not just a good start. But it's a good finish. My grandfather used to run track Back in the days, in other words, like 1904, 05, 06. And when he was in college and he went to run, he was at Cornell and he went to run against in the Penn Relays, which were at that time very big deals. He ran and he built, beat a man who would go on to become famous, a guy named Jim Thorpe. because he could handle the corners better than Thorpe. He had a quicker finish. He was on a relay. But he would say, you've got to be able to push through to the end, no matter what. And see, that's what hope, I think, does, is it helps us to move to the end. You all know I just turned 70, and so I have basically drawn out a 20-year plan because I hope to live to 90. And so it's like, what do you want to do in those 20 years? Because I have hope that God will use me in different kinds of ways. I don't know what they might be, but God will use me, and then God will be with me, and I will hang in there with God. And so now we get to this passage. A better hope is introduced. I mean, what a wonderful time to live in when he says a better hope, when you look at all that God has given to God's people in the Old Testament. And now we have a better hope? They were hoping for the Messiah. The Messiah has come. The Holy Spirit has come. So we have that that better hope if we are willing to hang on to it. You see, we need to see our faith and our hope as, as gifts, not as entitlements. They are things that God has given to us so that we can draw near to God. See oftentimes sometimes we just get stuck in our own moment of the story, and we're not willing to say that God has done something to fix that was back in Genesis three, when Adam and Eve were pushed out of excuse me, when Adam and Eve were pushed out of the garden. Yet that connects to me as does the death of Christ. See, loneliness is one of those things that is not talked about. Because we're not sure how to express it to somebody else. But when we are told, when I want to tell you to draw near to God, what you do is you follow our worship pattern. You realize the call to worship God is calling us. When we get to the altar where the sacrifice had to be, Christ once and for all. We confess our sins knowing that they're forgiven. We have that assurance of pardon that we can then go into the Holy of Holies. We can go into where God is. That we have that confidence to draw near to God. That no matter what your situation, what your stage of life is, You can draw near to God. And I come back to the two things that God has given us to draw near to him are his words. Some of you, if you have Facebook or whatever... You know, there's this meme where a guy is praying for God just to give him some direction, to give him the word, and what's sitting on the other side of the table is the Bible. See, lots of times people aren't willing to take God's word, what he has given us, and say, oh, I want more, I need more, I need something new, I'm not satisfied with what God has done. And I will tell you that you are setting yourself up for failure. If you are not willing to accept God at his own word when he gives us the written word. And then prayer. Prayer is entering into the presence of God, it's speaking to God, it's opening our hearts to God. It's praising him, it's confessing our sins. It's intercession. to draw near to God, to say that is what I want to do and I want to make sure I set aside, I take time each day to draw near to God in a very tangible way, knowing that he will not leave me when I go out into my world to do whatever job I have or whatever I have to do to fill the day. The last thing about being a priest that I want to end with is that we have someone who is an intercessor for us, Jesus Christ. We need to be a people who intercedes for other people because we can take them to the Holy of Holies. We can take them to God directly. All of us, can be intercessors. I think one of the reasons why that comes so naturally to me is that when I came home from the hospital, I was put in the chair, and my parents had devotions. So I grew up literally from when I came home from the hospital to I could begin to talk of hearing my parents pray, particularly for missionaries overseas, and when they started dealing out the cards when I could pray, I became an intercessor at five or six or seven. Could have that responsibility in that sense that I was supporting somewhere, somebody far away that I did not know. Now, occasionally I would meet them when they would come home on furlough and we would have them over Sunday pot roast and all the things that we did back then. But the idea of being an intercessor was a natural part of how I viewed myself as a Christian because of the home that I was brought into. But I also know that no matter where you are in your journey of faith, that you can become an intercessor. You can say, God, teach me to pray for other people. Teach me how to do that. Not to pray for success, but to pray for God to be close to those people in their times. One of the things that I, you know, it would be interesting sometimes to know where these things get started, but I know this part of marriage is very old, at least in the English language ceremonies, until death do us part. That at the beginning of that great and wonderful relationship in a marriage, we acknowledge that one of us is going to die first but I'm going to love until then. As I watched my mother and father in their 80s love each other before he died of Alzheimer's, as I watched my mother for three years take care of my father, that is a better love story to me than any 20-something love story. love someone to the end because they can draw near to god and that's what drives them let us pray father we do ask that you would help us to draw near to you Jesus, we thank you that we are able to draw near to God because of your shed blood. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are part of that in drawing us to be near to God and knowing that we are in the presence of God and knowing and experiencing that we are with God, the Holy One, the Creator, the All-Powerful, the One who loved us first Father, we know that the world calls us away, that the world offers us so many things, but they're lies because we were created to be with you, to draw near to you, and then everything else happens, and so may we we model drawing near to you every day. We pray this, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.